0: Grace, mercy and peace be unto you from God, our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If someone is nice to you on this earth, you do two things. Number one, you thank them for their kindness. Number two, you sing their praises to someone else. You tell someone else what this individual has done for you. Because you're so thankful for what they did. And you're so touched by their kindness. You do two things. You thank them and you sing their praises. That's what David does in so many of his psalms. He thanks God and he sings his praises. And then he looks you square in the eye 2,900 years after he wrote them. And he says, you should do the same thing. You should thank him. And you should sing his praises. Psalm 138. We read it last week as part of the opening liturgy. And I was so touched by it that I wanted to write a message about Psalm 138. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my hearts. Before the gods, I will sing your praises. I will bow down toward your temple, and I will praise your name while I'm bowing down to your temple. I'll praise you for two things, for your love and for your faithfulness. You have exalted above all things your name and your word, and when I called, you answered me, and you returned strength to me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May the kings of the earth sing the praises of God. As I'm reading that verse last week and you're responding, I'm praying as I always do when I look at a verse, whether it's my morning devotion, evening devotion, the scriptures that Pastor Schauer and myself read Whenever I see a verse in the Bible, I say, Lord, bring that verse inside of me. Help me to understand it. Help me not just to blow past it, but help me try and grasp what the meaning is. Because it's not any ordinary person lecturing. This is God himself. Lord, show us what these verses mean. David thanks God for two things and you blow right past it, okay? It means nothing to you except we're getting to the end of the sentence. David thanks him for two extraordinary things. He thanks him for his steadfast love. And while David is writing about that, he is thinking back upon that episode, 2 Samuel 11. He's thinking for he's thanking him for his steadfast love. You never stop loving me, Lord, despite my sins. I was a laughing stock, as was Israel of my enemies. I was a laughing stock in my own courts. I have half a mind that the reason Absalom rebelled against me we, was because of the sin with Bathsheba and Uriah and all of the chaos that that produced you never stopped loving me everyone else stopped loving me they were just in total shock and shame that I could do such a thing but you oh lord you never stopped loving me it's two words on the page in Psalm 138. It's two tiny words, steadfast love. But to David they're the explosion of his spiritual universe, you never stop loving me. I had a lady come up to me last night after the service. We talked for 20 minutes. She shared with me some sin that had been in her life for 55 years. And she said, I have never forgiven myself. I've listened to Shower and I've listened to you talk about God forgiving us our sins so we don't have to wait till our deathbed to confess them. I can't forgive myself. I know God does, but I can't. This is what David's talking about, the steadfast love of God. We have difficulty forgiving ourselves if we harm someone else, they have difficulty forgiving us. God never does. David praises him for his steadfast love. Despite my sins, you never stop loving me. And then he thanked God for his faithfulness. David said, the covenant you made with me, you told me it would never be broken I broke my covenant with you, but you were faithful. You never broke your covenant with me. When you and I sin, every time we do it, we break covenant with God. He says, follow my will, obey my will, you be my child. Every time we sin, we break that covenant. Does God ever say, I've had enough? I've had enough. I've forgiven this sin a thousand times in this person's life. I've had enough. You'll never hear those words from our Lord's lips. His faithfulness. Martin Luther, of all people, he's sitting there writing one day, and he says, I daily, I daily break the covenant with God. I, the great Martin Luther, the professor and the preacher and the writer... I daily break the covenant with God. But God never breaks his covenant with me. And when I, Martin Luther, ask God to forgive my sins, it is God himself who prompts me to do that. It's God himself who says, you've broken the covenant, I want you back with me. I'm going to put in your mind and heart repentance. And when you do that... You're back in the covenant with me. Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice every time some sinner says, I broke the covenant, I'm asking God to forgive me. Because he never breaks his covenant with me. Here's Adam and Eve. God says, you touch the apple, you're dead. They touch the apple, decide to eat it. What does God do? Does he break the covenant? They're dead in their sins. Who does he send? Genesis 3.15. He announces it right away. I'm going to send somebody. It's my son. And when he comes, he's going to be the sin offering for Adam and Eve because I will not break my covenant with them. You'll be striking at my children's heels throughout their lifetime but Jesus will cross your head. The covenant cannot be broken. What does Paul say Romans 8? Persuaded that neither death nor life can break the covenant. Neither angels nor demons can break the covenant. Neither things present or things to come or things in my past can break the covenant. Neither height nor depth can break the covenant. Nothing can break the covenants with God. He thanks him for his faithfulness. We're reading Psalm 138. I'm breezing right along. You know, it's a smooth stream. And when I took time this past week to look at those two words, steadfast love and faithfulness, uh, things just exploded. Never broke the covenant with Abraham, not with Moses, not with Simon Peter, not with his 12 disciples. Never broke the covenant. God never broke the covenant. And he brought them back to himself. And then we get to verse 4, and all of a sudden, it's like I see something in the middle of the highway and I slam on my brakes. All of a sudden, I see something in Psalm 138, verse 4, that it, this can't be possible. You know, David was on a roll as he was riding and he overstated himself. That's what I'm thinking as I'm doing the liturgy. You know, David's overstating himself because he said all the kings of the earth will praise you, O Lord, and I'm saying that's not possible. When they hear the words of your mouth, how are they going to hear the words of your mouth if they're in Egypt or Babylon or Assyria or Persia? How are they going to hear the words of your mouth? I think you overstated it, David. They will sing of the ways of the Glory and the power of God. And I'm just saying to myself, that's not possible. And guess what? It is possible. It's usually not a lot of fun to write a sermon. It's kind of hard work and you pray a lot. But this one was fun. Because I'm going to show you how David's comments we're absolutely true. All the kings of the earth shall praise you. They will hear the words of your mouth and they will sing of the glory of God. Tell me, how could that happen? You have Pharaoh in Egypt. And uh, there are 2,000 gods and goddesses in Egypt. There are shrines and, and temples and statues all over the empire. How in the world can Pharaoh bump into God? when he's in Egypt. There were 2,800 years of the Egyptian empire. 2,800 years. There were 170 pharaohs in that time. And if you Google who was the greatest of all the pharaohs of Egypt, it was Ramses II. Guess who was pharaoh when Moses came? Ramses II. Exodus chapter 3, it says... God speaking to Moses, he said, I will show my power to Pharaoh and he will understand who I am, my power and my glory. I preached a sermon on this like nine months ago when the plagues came five times out of the 10 plagues. Pharaoh said, this is the finger of God. He is more powerful than Ra, the sun god of Egypt. He is more powerful than all the gods. This is God, Jehovah. And though he declared his power and his glory, he did not ultimately come to him. And perhaps the reason he didn't, and the Bible doesn't tell us, we only speculate, When the walls of the Red Sea come crashing down, that becomes one of the greatest stories in any Christian's life. No matter what you and I are facing, we always look at the waters of the Red Sea opening in an impossible situation. I use that story more than any story in the Bible throughout my ministry. If God can do that, open the waters of the Red Sea, Whatever is going on in your life that you don't think there's any way out, there's the story. If Pharaoh had absolutely come to the faith, would have never had that story. Pharaoh would have been benefited, but the trillions of Christians since then would not have received the benefit of those waters coming down. One can only think that when the waters come crashing down, maybe Pharaoh, for the last time, said, "Oh my goodness, this." is God so guess what happened with Pharaoh all the kings of the earth shall praise you O God they will hear the words of your mouth and they will sing of the ways of the Lord God for his glory is great that's exactly what Pharaoh did what about Nebuchadnezzar second greatest empire the Babylonian empire Go 1600 years. There are 120 kings. If you Google that one, who is the greatest king in the Babylonian Empire? Guess whose name appears? Nebuchadnezzar right there in the Bible. And what happens with Nebuchadnezzar when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace and they come out unscathed? What does Nebuchadnezzar do? He says, I have seen the power of God, his wonders and his signs. How great God is. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And then he said, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can ever stay God's hand. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. God slips into Egypt. God slips into Babylon. What about Persia? Top ten of all the empires that ever existed. King Darius, he says to Daniel before he's thrown into the lion's den, may your God, he's not my God, may your God protect you. And the next morning when he comes and he says, Daniel, are you still alive? And Daniel said, my God sent an angel to close the mouths of lions. You know what Darius then said? Darius wrote to all the people, nations and tribes that dwelt in his kingdom. And he said, I make a decree on this day that in all my dominion, people are to bow down before the God of Daniel. He is the only true God, the living God, enduring forever. He delivers his powerful signs and wonders on this earth. He has saved Daniel. God doesn't listen to Pharaoh knocking on God's door. Come on in. Pharaoh never would. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't say, come on in, God. He never would. He worships the God Marduk. Sennacherib, he would never say, come on in, God. He is worshiping Ahura Mazda, the God of the Assyrians. These people would never say, come on in, God. He came in anyway. He came uninvited. And what David wrote in Psalm 138 is exactly what happens. His power, his word, his glory... Came to the greatest kings this earth has ever seen, and they were singing his praises. Pastor Shower read in the Gospel Whoever hears confesses with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, believes in the heart, God raised him from the dead. Then they will be saved. And then Paul writes, How can they hear unless someone is sent? Blessed be the feet of those who bring the good news. Moses was sent to be the feet and the hands of God. Jonah was sent to the Assyrian capital to be the hands and the feet of God. Daniel was sent to Babylon to be the feet and the hands of God. He snuck on in there. What does this sermon mean for you and me other than quite a history lesson. What does it mean for you and me? That dear, dear lady who came and talked last night after the service, as I had a prayer for her, I prayed that she would understand that God forgave her because he's the covenant keeper That God forgave her the moment, the moment, 55 years ago, that the sin was committed. And I prayed, Lord, she's never been able to forgive herself. Most of us don't, right? We're haunted by what we did in the past, wish we could do it over. God forgave it a long time ago. uh, But you and I have such difficulty forgiving ourselves. That was my prayer for her. Lord, if you can come into the kingdoms of Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and Darius and Sennacherib, if you can come into these greatest empires, if you can slip by all the guards and find yourself right in the front of their faces, if you can do that, you can help this lady and you can help millions of us. Let go of the sin that was committed his power is not limited. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me with this burden, dear lady. Come to me. Leave this burden with me. Walk away. I'll give you peace. What's your prayer? You've been praying for 25 years that your son and daughter who have your grandchildren, you're praying they'd come back to church or come back to worship or that they would... You know, overcome their addiction, or they would open up the lines of communication with you again. You haven't heard from them in a decade. What is your impossible situation? I'm looking at Psalm 138, verse 4, last week. I'm saying, Not, nah, this isn't possible. But you need to do but a little research, and you smile. It was possible. All the kings of the earth were magnifying, glorifying God. Your situation and mine. Not impossible to God. Not impossible. Not impossible. Marriages, health relationships, finances, not impossible with God. We will have a dear lady sitting here this morning who had health issues that went on for three or four years, multiple surgeries. She never thought that she would ever feel better again. She just thought this would always be part of her life. And now she will sit in the pew one of these services this morning. She will understand the power and the glory of God and she will sing his praises. Closing word, at the end, like at the beginning. If someone does something nice for you, you thank them and then you sing their praises to someone else do not believe what Mary did for me. You won't believe what Sam did for me. You thank him. And you sing his praises to others. Like Moses and Jonah and Daniel and the disciples and Simon Peter. Heavenly Father, keep us close to you in our Savior's name.